let's say, you know, you're making $6,000 and expenses are $4,000. So you investing $2,000. If you raise your income up to $10,000, now your income didn't double, but your investments tripled. Welcome to The Fi Show, where you'll get a behind-the-scenes look into financial independence. Here's your host, Cody and Justin. Hello, and welcome back to another episode of The Financial Independence Show, where today we have on Tyler Wright from Defining Wealth, who's going to talk about how increasing your income can really supercharge your path to financial independence. But before we get into his story, let me check in with my co-host, Justin. What is going on, man? Hey, Cody, had a real fun weekend this last weekend. Um, you know, if you listened to the last episode, you might have known like last week was my birthday. And so we did most of celebrating over the weekend. We had a bunch of folks get together on Thursday, just kind of like a dinner in Austin. But then the, for the weekend, me and some guys went out to one of Leslie's aunt's deer camps, just kind of like this big property out two and a half hours away from Austin in the hill country, just wide open, a lot of acreage. And just kind of hung out, cooked, shotguns, you know, got the skeet shooting out for the shotgun. Uh, my buddy's got a bunch of like steel targets. So we got to get some pistols and rifles out uh, with just stuff that is a lot harder to do, obviously, in the city and stuff that we don't get to do very often. But just a lot of fun to kind of get away from the city, get away from like trying to get reservations and get people here on time and Ubers and whatever and just have a chill hangout with a group of guys was a really good time. And then going forward, you know, we got a couple weeks here where it's a little bit of a, a calm before the storm. So we don't have too much going on over the next few weeks before we go to Virgin Islands. So it'll mostly be uh, just trying to focus on recovering the body from all the ridiculous food, you know, we've been eating over the last few days. How about you, Cody? <laughs> well, I am just wrapping up or I just wrapped up my trip in Colorado. So flew back today, the day this episode comes out. And it was an absolute blast, man. I think I got all of my skiing out of the system for this year, definitely, maybe even the beginning of next year. Got so many days in on the Icon Pass. For those who are skiers, you know, you can track your days and your miles. Like, it was just so much more skiing than I've ever done in my entire life in a short period of time. Because we were here for two weeks. I think we only took maybe three days off total of skiing completely. Some days were half days, some days were full days, but... Yeah, all of our hometown friends flew in on Thursday, and so we ended up getting this really nice Airbnb right downtown Winter Park with them and just basically tore it up. We had really good conditions. Again, if you listened last week, also good conditions. It seems like winter out west just gets later and later. Like March has just had hundreds of inches of snow across the Rockies. It's been pretty amazing. And I know last week, Justin, you updated the listeners on your Airbnb. You just got that listed. I have a real estate update as well. For those who have been following along for a while, we had a property that we bought late summer, early fall that we were flipping. It was basically like gutting everything from the studs in, redoing all the walls and the floors and the electrical and plumbing. And it was a pretty big project. We ended up spending about 50 grand all in. Bought it for 200, again, 50 grand all in. We just got under contract for 380K. So super pumped about that return. Obviously, there's going to be taxes and all these other expenses and stuff. So if those were like, well, you didn't actually make that much. I know, I know. But it's still a pretty solid return. So that was my first flip and definitely looking forward to doing more of those in the future. That is a huge return and uh, love to hear that. I would have always wanted to do one of these. I'd actually like to do one kind of like myself, like just to just for the hell of it. I feel like it'd be really rewarding. 
Yeah, we'll definitely maybe do an episode on this. But for those who are like, Cody, I didn't know you were that handy. I'm not. <laughs> I actually didn't swing a single tool. I didn't swing a hammer. I didn't screw anything in. I partnered with my friend who's a contractor. We basically ended up splitting this place 50-50. We bought the place. He did all the work. So for those who are like, I want to do a flip too, but I don't have any experience. That's exactly what I did. And obviously, it's going to depend on your relationship. If you have someone who's a contractor or handy that can do these types of repairs and you can work out a favorable deal for both of you, then it might work. But yeah, I mean, you could definitely make more, like you said, Justin, it's just going to take longer because you're going to be doing all the work yourself. And in my situation, I'm no pro. I can do like painting and I've done some drywall before, but I kind of stink at everything else. <laughs> so it was a it was a partnership that worked really well both ways. But Justin, that's enough about us and what we have going on. Let's talk about the guest for today, Tyler Wright. So Tyler is someone who I've actually become pretty close with over the past year or so. I got kind of invited into like a creator's group chat and we started learning more about each other and I got to learn more about his business. And what I really like about his message and something that we really hammer in this episode today is he really focuses on increasing income. He talks about that if you can set a baseline of expenses and then continue to multiply the income or at least increase it by really large percentages, it can swing the lever so much farther in your direction for financial independence than you know cutting out the lattes or like optimizing every penny. If you can, Tyler talks about how he brought his income from 60K to over 300K. And during that time, he's still super frugal. He's still keeping his expenses really low. And what that allowed him to do was just basically take all of that extra money that he was making and invest it. And, you know, Justin and I have talked so many times in this podcast about how investing early, getting that compound interest to work for you is one of the best ways that you can achieve financial independence really, really fast. And I just love the way that Tyler has approached this by focusing on income first. Yeah, obviously, people are going to find themselves in different situations. Like, there's going to be a group of people who are already really high earning who aren't, have never focused on their savings rate. And that's going to be a huge improvement to them. But there's also going to be a lot of people who already have their savings rate at a pretty good level. Like, their spending is already pretty well in control. And you're going to get to a certain point where it's a lot easier to add an additional $20,000 of income than it is to cut out $20,000 worth of expenses. Because like just percentage wise, like you, you already are down so far, like you've already got like a reasonable housing expense and you've already got a reasonable car expense and you've got already got, you know, reasonable spending and all that sort of stuff. And you kind of get to a point where you can't go any lower, but you can always raise that income. I know that's definitely been huge for me. You know, my spending hasn't grown hugely, but my income has grown a lot. So my savings rate has always continued to go up, even though my spending has actually went up a little bit over the years. So that's really the power that I think we're getting at in this episode. And I couldn't agree more. And I think a lot of times we we sell ourselves short by looking at the career field that we're in and not thinking you know, outside industries. Um, even if it's not huge changes in the actual job you do, just I know I've said this, if you've been a long time listener, if you've got your job at a magazine company, you could probably do your job at a software as a service type company and it's the same job but those two different companies have completely different profitabilities and therefore they can pay you know differently so always think about an industry change even if you don't feel like you can want to change your profession so if you think this kind of topic is something you're going to be really interested in and want to find out even more information about tyler after the episode or you know someone who you'd like to share this episode with you can do all that via the slash tyler that is thefyshow.com slash T-Y-L-E-R. Take it away, Tyler. When I think about money growing up, the biggest advantage was just two loving parents and eventually three parents after my mom got remarried. But 
it was a pretty normal childhood. My parents weren't telling me about investing or the stock market or real estate or anything like that. The only thing I kind of remember is my mom just telling me to save, I guess, you know, and she kind of had a big emphasis on that. But I feel like, you know, almost came from a standpoint of scarcity to a certain extent, as far as saving with the intention of being afraid, as opposed to saving and then eventually, obviously, investing for more of an abundant, positive outcome. But nothing was really discussed growing up. It was a pretty normal childhood as well, as far as, I guess, sticking within the confines of what society normally is, as far as like go to school, good, good grades, all that kind of stuff. I wasn't an entrepreneur in any sense, really. I was really focused just on going to school, doing as well as I could, getting good grades, sticking, I guess, within the system played sports and things like that as well. But yeah, nothing really crazy where, you know, I think when a lot of people hear my eventual story, I guess that we'll tell as we go, they think, well, your parents must have taught you about real estate or they must have taught you about the stock market or they must have taught you about entrepreneurship and all that stuff. And, you know, I tell them I did get a degree in finance, but 98% of what I know about personal finance investing came from after college, which is terrible considering the amount of money that's spent on a four-year degree that's supposed to teach you how to do that. But you know, all that came after from self-education and experience, really. So you end up getting a degree in finance. What did you imagine as you're going into college, like what your life was going to look like, the kind of job you were going to get, the, how you thought things were going to play out as you're coming in, you know, starting college? Yeah, I guess I had really not thought too deeply into what the future exactly would look like. You know, I just thought, hey, go to college and then I'll figure out what kind of job I'm going to get from there. It's funny to look back, especially now, I think I'm probably you know, about 10, 11 years since I graduated high school, thinking about what I do now and how the last 10 years have transpired. Like, I don't think if you told that person at that time, they would have any clue or guess that I would be where I am. But yeah, you know, I think I went to school with finance and I talk about this a lot too. That we make a lot of decisions, especially when it comes to finance, based off of almost nothing. You know, it could be a 10 second decision. Like, why did I pick finance? I honestly, I don't know. I don't, I don't know if someone's asked me that in a long time. I think for me, it was just like, hey, finance is a good degree, I think. And I think that I can get a job and something banking related, investment banking, whatever. But I had spent maybe 10 minutes thinking about that. And of course, you can't tell necessarily a 18 year old kid to do a ton of thinking and figure out, you know, where they're going to go for the rest of their life because a lot of things change. But yeah, you know, I think that for me, on a very general level, it was going to go to college, get a degree in finance, and then, you know, go into maybe some sort of banking or investment banking or something like that, which didn't turn out to be the case at all. But I guess that's how I kind of made the decision on that. So I want to preface this next question by actually reading, I'm going to click over to your website here, the first paragraph of your bio. I just think this is going to set up really well for kind of the rest of the conversation. So it says, I was a newly graduated 22-year-old kid out of college with $0 to my name. I quickly learned that waking up five days a week at 6 a.m. to leave at 7 a.m. to get to work by 8 a.m. to work until 6 p.m. to get home and shower by 7.30 p.m. only to have just enough time to watch one to two episodes on Netflix before bed for the next 45 years couldn't be the life for me. So that's like one hell of a realization for a 22-year-old who's just getting started with their career. Can you kind of talk about like what prompted thoughts like that? Were you consuming content online, like YouTube, podcasts, books, or it's not common that you see a 22 year old start to think that way. I really wasn't. I, you know, I think this was, what year was that? 2015, 2016. So there was Instagram, but nothing like we know it now. You know, it's just people posting pictures of avocado toast and, <laughs> you know, whatever they're doing throughout their day. But there wasn't like educational. There wasn't people like us posting about this stuff. 
there might have been podcasts, but you know, it was on the very, you know, we're talking seven, eight years ago. There wasn't a lot of ton of stuff out there. But yeah, I think for me, I'm always somebody that I would consider myself a high achiever or somebody that's always thought like, hey, you know, I think that I believe somewhat, I guess, in free will to where I know that if I, you know, show up and I put in the time and effort and I educate myself and I work hard and all the typical leadership or success type of traits that I can make a better life for myself. And so I think that once I got into the real world, you know, like I said before, you don't do a lot of thinking as to what the next steps are going to be, especially when you're a kid, 18, 22 years old. But when you go into the real world, you're forced to reckon with it because now you're staring down the barrel of it, you're experiencing it. And it's hard to really even imagine those things in college. And if I would have, maybe I would have gone down a different path sooner. But yeah, I mean, I, it was a great job, I guess, as far as jobs go. The people were good. You know, it was a laid back atmosphere. It had an opportunity with sales. I was making $30,000 a year salary with no promise of anything more. But I saw a path where I'm like, hey, I can make more money. And that was the first thing I focused on. But like I said, in that paragraph, you know, you're looking at it and you're going, this is it. You know, I got through all of life for it just to have absolutely pretty much no time to do any of the things that I enjoy, you know. And so I started looking for, I guess, a way out. So that's what kind of led me on a journey to first and foremost, just consume everything I possibly could about personal finance, which like I said, wasn't necessarily through Instagram or TikTok or YouTube or Google or any of those kind of things. Now it was more so just books, specifically audio books. I had a 30, 45 minute commute, like one way. So an hour and a half round trip and five days a week. And so I don't know, that's six, seven hours right there. And so I popped in books on audio books and I would put it on, you know, at the beginning, one X speed. By the end, it was like, 2x speed, which just sounds like you're playing a tape in reverse. But <laughs> I get to the point where I can read pretty much a book a week, you know, so I was reading 50, 60 books a year, you know, and I could probably give you like five books right now that if you read them and fully understood them, it's almost all you really need to know. And I think that's the, the sad part. It's the bad news. And it's the gospel at the same time is that most people aren't really that far away from the information they need to know in order to be successful when it comes to personal finance, investing, all that kind of stuff. You know, the hard part is really day in and day out staying consistent with the information that you've learned. So yeah, for me in the beginning, it was more so focused on how can I consume all this information? And then, you know, of course, piece by piece over time, it was how can I take this and put it into action? In the beginning, I didn't know that I was going to retire in six, seven years. That wasn't even my goal. I was just like, hey, I want to learn. I want to start doing these things. And then I think the cool thing about learning and education and getting around people that are doing the same thing, it kind of you know, hyper focuses you and there's almost a, a compound interest, if you will, or a snowball effect to what you think is possible for your life. The more you accomplish, the more you realize that you haven't really accomplished what your potential is. But it takes getting up step by step up that ladder. You know, it's almost like a winding staircase. You know, you can't really see steps four, five, and six until you get up to step three, you know? And so taking action, I always see like action begets action. Yeah, for me, it was education starting to take action and then the more I learned and the more I acted, the more opportunities presented itself from there. Yeah, I love that you call out that, hey, you know, if you read probably five books and really understood it, that that might be all you needed to find success. And I think that's probably a problem we see a lot is there's so much information out there and you can always find a counter argument. So you can kind of sit there and get stuck in analysis and figure out which way should I really go instead of actually taking any action. But one thing we love to do is walk in listeners exactly through your story, you know, like, year one, like you, that first job, you mentioned 
$30,000 salary. What year was that? And then since it was a sales job, like looking back on that first year, how much money were you making? Because I know we'll want to un uncover how you were able to also progress in your nine to five career and, and see those large increases, because that's a reality for a lot of people that could be a huge change of their life. if They can just figure out a way to get an extra 10, 20 percent of the salary that they're working at. Yeah. So I teach a lot of people this, I guess, in my master class, because as soon as I say sales or something, you know, people automatically put up some sort of flag like, well, I'm not a salesperson or sales isn't for me. What I would tell people is that you don't know if sales is, isn't for you until you do it. It's just a skill like anything else that can be that can be learned. Some of the best salespeople I've ever known are the people that you would think would be the worst salespeople, to be honest, the introverts, people like that, that you wouldn't think their skill set really lends to that. So I'll start with that. And two, there's a lot of other ways to you know raise your income. It doesn't have to be sales. Sales was just my way. It's my story. So for me, I saw it as a way to, again, the better I did. If I believe that I'm somebody that can work harder than other people, and I believe that the better that I do, I want to be able to be rewarded for that. So if I go to work a job and it's a salary job, it doesn't matter if I'm a three out of 10 or a 10 out of 10, I'm still getting paid the same thing. For me, that just doesn't add up. You know, and I think, you know, where, where does that come from? Probably from as a kid, just playing sports and being competitive and things like that. I've always have had a, some sort of competitive mentality and it's not necessarily about trying to make more money to be better than other people, but it was kind of like, Hey, if I'm putting all this time and effort in, I just want to be fairly compensated for my time. And I like the idea of being able to build to where over time you can make more and more and more as opposed to waiting on your boss to maybe give you a 3% raise, 5% raise a year, you know, like that. It's hard to build wealth like that. And so even though I didn't have the whole picture together at the beginning, as far as like, Hey, I'm going to get a sales job because I know that I'm going to need money to invest in stocks, real estate, and all this stuff down the road. For me at the beginning, I just knew, Hey, I want to, I need a track to make a lot of money. I don't know exactly why yet or how I'm going to grow that. That's another thing. People hear my whole story and they'll go, well, you know, how did you do all that at once? Like I didn't do all of it at once. Like at the beginning, I focus on keeping my expenses low and making money. And that was one, like, you know, step one, figure that out. And then once you have money to invest, then figure out how to invest. But if you don't have any money to invest, and why are you worried about real estate or the stock market or this or that? You know, focus on your cash flow first. For me, my starting salary was 30000 I probably made 60,000 by the end of that first year. And the second year was 100,000, then 150, then 200, then 250, then 300 over the course of the seven years from 2015, 16 to 2022 before I left this past year. And so, yeah, it gave me an opportunity to scale my income quickly, right? And, and as a result, scale my cash flow quickly. I kept my expenses not like uh, low, 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 like coupon type lifestyle on purpose. But for me, it was more of a focus on how can I make more money and need less to live and be happy or whatever, and take that money and start using it to fund my freedom. So that was kind of the beginning for me from an income perspective. So jumping over to the expense side of things, like were you house hacking? Were you driving an old car? And over the course of those years, like your income sounds like it's doubling every year. Most people who go from 60K to 300K in six years, probably are, you know, they're driving a BMW and they're renting like a penthouse suite and they're doing all this crazy stuff because their income has just skyrocketed. What did it look like for you over those six years? Well, I think in the very, very beginning, you know, there's almost like phases where I, you know, I, I think lifestyle creep is something that can, like you said, especially when you go up that quickly, 
you know, and your expenses can sometimes follow you. And then you get in a situation where arguably you're almost worse off than when you started is you lose your job and then you've got, you know, a million dollar house and, you know, a hundred thousand dollar car and, and then no job. Right. And, you know, for me in the beginning, again, I was making $30,000. So I was like, there is no real like spending or in that first year, first two years to kind of get me off my feet. Well, unluckily, I didn't know about house hacking. I didn't know about real estate at that time. Because if I did, that's probably would have been my focus to try to save up for a property, do that first. I guess the next best thing. So I was actually the RA, like a resident advisor at my college. I lived in a fraternity house. And because I served in the fraternity as a president and in these different things, there was an opportunity that came up to be the house dad, which is the best and worst thing I guess they probably ever happened to me, trying to start your career while still living in a fraternity house. But what it allowed me to do was not pay rent. So I didn't pay rent for the first two years. You know, I was making over six figures by the time I ever had to pay for rent. And, you know, they paid for electricity, utilities, a stipend. I was getting paid to live, you know, so it really was almost like a house hacking, except you don't get a, you know, appreciation and depreciation and all that kind of stuff. But I didn't have a car payment. I didn't have a housing payment. You know, the only thing I was really spending money on was maybe groceries six, seven, eight years ago when they were you know, affordable <laughs> to go to the grocery store. And, buy and so for me, I don't even know if they were a thousand dollars like a month, you know, it was like just the bare necessities really. And then as time went on, you know, I upgraded a little bit, but upgrading would just be, Hey, I moved into a one bedroom apartment with my girlfriend, you know, that was like a thousand, eleven hundred dollars a month when, yeah, my friends were making half as much as I was living in a $2,500 a month downtown apartment or whatever. And, you know, for me, like I said, I always had that idea where the first and foremost, I guess to back up a step was you can't take a $30,000 a year job if your expenses are too high to begin with. I could have easily said, screw this. I don't want to live in a fraternity house. There'd be a lot of reasonable reasons to come up to that conclusion. But, you know, I easily could have moved downtown. But if I would have moved downtown, what would have happened to me? Well, I would have had to go probably take a fifty, sixty thousand dollar a year job that was maybe salary. And so three, four years down the road, I wouldn't even be in the spot just from that one decision right there, because everything connects, you know. Because I had no expenses, because I was willing to maybe live in a somewhat crappier situation and not have rent and get the stipend and not have these expenses, it allowed me to take a bigger risk on a job that I didn't know if it was gonna work or not. Because people hear thirty thousand, a hundred thousand, two hundred thousand, three hundred thousand. But not one cent of that was ever promised, you know, from the beginning. And that easily could have been $30,000. I didn't make any cent of commission and I flunked out and failed or I got into a bad market or bad industry or bad timing. There's a million other things that could happen. But because I kept my expenses low, it allowed me to raise my risk profile, which ended up being the main driver of me getting out of the rat race. And I know you mentioned like to start, it wasn't really crossing your mind like, hey, I might retire in six or seven years. At what point in your journey did you start to think like, you know what, this whole like early retirement thing is actually possible. Like, I think I can reach this. I think like it was just about, which it always is, just about the fundamentals. You know, like I said, in the beginning it was like make more, make more, not necessarily spend less, but at least have a spending plan that's in alignment with where you're trying to get to when you're trying to get to it. But after like three or four years, it's funny when I think back, because I remember like when I first got my job, I'm like, if I can just make $100,000, like that's it. Like that's life. I'll be good and happy forever. And that happened within like a year or two. And I think after like three years, three, four years, and I was starting to make like 150 and I was starting to invest 
a lot, you know, like over 5,000 a month or maybe even more at that point, depends on exactly when we're talking. And I started getting into real estate, started learning about real estate. And so I had already built up uh, you know, a large amount of stock investments and then I started getting into real estate. And then I saw it as, hey, like if I can just kind of lock down a few properties over the course of, again, at that time, who knows, like 10, 15 years, like I could probably retire by the time I'm 40. One thing led to another as time went on. And then I started to kind of, like I said, as I got further up the staircase, I started realizing the staircase wasn't as tall as I thought it was. <laughs> so even though you're in sales, and I don't know exactly what percentage of our listeners are in sales or have been in sales, but I think there's going to be a lot of like parallels that they can draw to their own journey, whether they're entrepreneurs or just in a different day job. What made you a good salesperson? Like, were you just out calling or I don't know exactly how the reach out worked or like, were you just doing the double the volume of everyone else? Were you like, did you have a better script? Were you just better closer? I'm just kind of curious, like from a tactical level, how you were scaling your income so quickly over the course of those years. We'll be right back after a quick word from one of our sponsors. Today's sponsor is one I use on a daily basis in my company, Gold City Ventures. That is the sound of a sale in your Shopify store. But did you know that Shopify now also powers in-person selling? Shopify POS is your command center for your retail store or small business. Accept payments, manage inventory, they have everything. Shopify brings together your in-person and online sales business into one source of truth, one dashboard, everything in one place. You know exactly what's going on. And now they have all these customization options. They have plug and play tools you can integrate with Instagram or TikTok or wherever. You can take your payments by phone or by tablet. Shopify makes it easy. Plus, if you have any questions, their support team is there to help you. I know we have a lot of entrepreneurs in this audience and Shopify POS just breaks down that barrier to accepting payments with your business. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash show, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash show to take your retail business to the next level today. Shopify.com slash show. Now back to the show. Yeah. So there's a couple of different, I guess, ways. So the industry that I was in specifically was healthcare staffing. So you basically place healthcare professionals in ongoing travel jobs. And so the beginning, I had a job, it's called recruiter. So you're the person that actually goes out and calls the nurse and you deal with the nurses. You might have 10 or 15, 20 working for you at one point. And for that, that was more of a, like a lower ceiling type of position. And so the first thing that I did was I did really well at that. I don't want to say it's like gruntier work, but it was gruntier. I don't know how else to say it, but... <laughs> It was tough. It was an absolute grind. You're, you're dealing with business to business sales. Like there's at least a level of decorum, like when you can speak to each other, how you speak to each other, how often you speak to each other. When you're dealing with like placing doesn't not necessarily just nurses, but anybody, right? You're always going to get people, you know, that might be tougher to deal with and they don't have the same set of rules because it's just a personal business relationship as opposed to dealing with someone that works for a company. So for me, the first thing was I got out of that role within a year and I moved into what they call sales, which is more so dealing with the hospitals, dealing with opening up new contracts and dealing with the client side of things. And on that side in this business, there's a much higher ceiling to make more money because you're not dealing with each nurse. I might have 50 nurses working for me, but there's 10 recruiters that that's split between. And they're the ones that deal with the nurses, which is the more time intensive part of the business. And I'm dealing more so just with like higher level stuff, opening up new contracts, dealing with current existing contracts, stuff like that. And so you can build what's called a desk, which is just like your ongoing business. And so it wasn't like every first of the month I started over and was like, all right, you know, 
because there would be a compound interest in that kind of business from just your skill set going up. But there was also not only my skill set going up, but you have current existing business or nurses that are working there. So I was able to build that up over time to where, you know, even if I didn't work theoretically for a month or two, I'd probably still make almost about the same amount until you know, eventually it would fall off, you know, because they're ongoing like three month contracts for most part. But for me, the first thing was moving into a better role within the company to where I could see a more of a yellow brick road, we'll call it, as far as like getting me to where I want to go. That's how a lot of people, a lot of times, whether it's sales or anything, you know, you got to be really careful about where the ceilings are mm-hmm. and how many people get there and what percentage of people get there. Because you might get into a role where you're like, oh, well, this person's making $100,000. Well, how long have they been working there? You know, how many hours a week are they working? how many other people are doing it? Because you might find, well, this guy works 90 hours a week. He's the only one in the company that makes the amount that you want to make. And it took him 10 years of, you know, working there to get there. And so those would all be like, strike three, like this is a bad idea. And so doing all that work on the front end, as far as like seeing the path of getting to where you want to get to is important. But for me, it was promotion. And then from there, that business is kind of like a war of attrition in a way. There's a high turnover with people within the company. And so, you know, if you stick through there, you might gain other people's territory after they leave or after they quit or whatever. And so it's just a lot of that. On top of that, as far as the, the strategies of how I get, maybe got there from sales was, you know, really a lot of the typical boring stuff as far as, you know, showing up early, putting in the extra effort, you know, looking at my numbers and, you know, trying to dive into, you know, a daily journal as far as what went right, what went wrong, you know, and as far as what went right, why did it go right? What went wrong? What can be improved? I think that right there is like really all you need in anything in time, you know, to figure these things out. If you want to get better at anything, you just write down working out or or whatever, you know, what went right? What went wrong? Where can I improve? What resources or people, you know, in some situations do I need to help make that happen? You know, if I can't do it, who can do it? Something like that. The last thing was really just investing in the people around me. In the beginning, it was more so of looking at the people ahead of me that were in the roles that I wanted to be in and asking them, what are you guys doing to get there? And what are you doing on a daily basis? How do you do things? Is the two things you do on a daily basis out of a two million that make all the difference? Hmm. And trying to take that together and, and work those things in. I always say you need three people in your life. You need people that are above you that you can learn from. You need people at your level that you can compete and collaborate with. And you need people below you that you can A, practice your teaching, which I think is the best way to learn anything, and also to help bring up people and help their journey be a little bit faster, a little bit easier than yours. Yeah, I had people on my level as well that I talked to a lot. And then there was people underneath me. And I think that was the biggest thing because the way that it was set up was recruiters went out, they got the nurses and had them apply to your jobs and stuff like that. But yeah, I'm kind of, I guess, the middleman. They go do that work and then it runs through me. So I'm talking to them every single day. And even though... I'm not necessarily their boss, the recruiters. I'm a more senior level person. I've been in their role before. So anytime they would go to me and maybe some of them didn't like me for doing this uh, or thought it was annoying, but I would try to coach them through like if something didn't go right, you know, not like, well, I'm better than you. This is how you should do it every time. But like, hey, this is like an issue to happen. Obviously, I know that you don't want this person to back out of this job. What happened? Trying to dive into it and that made them better. So the next time they came around, there would be less issues. It also meant that they'd be more likely to maybe try to push their people to my jobs because they had a better relationship with me. And I just think it makes the business better as a whole. So those are a lot of things I guess I did across 
many different levels to try to succeed or push my income through being better at sales. Earlier, you kind of mentioned how things go in a different way could have meant that you ended up in a completely different position, which I don't know that we all give enough credit to, like some of those lucky bounces, some of those things that get us in the right position. And I'm also always fascinated at how there's all these different industries and jobs that you just never even heard of. And then you hear somebody talk about it. It's like, oh, well, that sounds like a, you know, like a great position to be in. So how did you actually end up in this position in the first place? Like, how did this job like kind of come to you? I wish I could say it was like this thing I'd really been researching for a long time because that's what I tell people to do now. But I went to a career fair my, I guess, senior year. And I really just wanted to start like working and getting experience doing something. And I went to a career fair and it was one of my friends, his like older brother that was there and he worked for this company. It's funny because he's like, I just started talking to him because I know him. And you know, I'm like, what's this company you work for? And he's like, uh, you know, it's national staffing. And I'm like, what do you guys do? And he's like, oh, I don't he's like, well, I kind of know, but I just started here like a week ago. I'm like, cool, are you guys hiring? Like I'm trying to get an internship for like this last fall before I graduated. And I still at that time thought like maybe, you know, I was still looking for other positions and banking and stuff like that, like I was talking about. But I worked there for three months and, you know, three, four months, something like that before I graduated. And again, I kind of got in there, met people, like kind of understood. I, I had no idea that the industry even existed prior to being there, but I saw it as an opportunity, like I said, to where I could see people scaling their income. And I was like, you know what? I'm going to give this a shot. And the way that I describe it is at a healthy level of being skeptical about it, I guess. The time I put in, it just got consistently, as I told you guys the numbers before, it just got better and better and better and better. And I always was like, I don't even know if I'm, this is what I'm going to do long term. But as I got closer and you know, up to 150, 200, 250,000, and I was investing at this time and buying real estate, the whole picture started to become clear of like why. And I was like, I'm not going to jump out of this career you know, at this point because I'm like, I'm probably one, two years away from not like retiring, retiring, but just being able to live whatever life I want to live. Right. And so it became more of a mathematical equation. I'm like, I'm going to stay in this until I can, you know, get that kind of stuff situated and then move out from there. So you just mentioned investing and that's something we have not talked about yet in today's episode. And so as you start to increase your income, I know you mentioned at some point you're like putting $5,000 a month into, I don't know if it was the stock market you mentioned at that time. But what did the investment progression start to look like as the income climbed, but you said your expenses stayed pretty low? I mean, I was even investing probably when I was making $30,000 because I didn't really have any expenses at all. So, you know, obviously it didn't start off at $5,000. I think that's what's important. They see the charts of like what they need to be investing to get, you know, there by a certain time. And the important part is just to start and improve. You know, that's, that's the only two things. And so for me, you know, it started off with probably, you know, $100 a month, maybe. And then that progressed to well over 10,000 plus, you know, maybe even 15, 20,000 some months investing by the end of it. You know, in the beginning, that was mostly, well, it was all focused on the stock market because I didn't have knowledge of real estate at that point, you know, when I was 22, 21 to 26. And then once I learned about real estate, then I started moving money more towards that for a number of different reasons. And then, yeah, that's kind of how the progression went over time. You know, I learned about real estate when I was 25. 26 from reading Rich Dad Poor Dad, which it, I explain to people is the it's the best book that doesn't teach you absolutely anything at all. <laughs> yeah, it's more so like kind of a financial freedom rah rah like motivational book, and you read it and you're like, I'm about to go take on the world, and then you're like, wait, what do I do? 
because <laughs> it doesn't really teach you how to do anything. It's just more about talking about kind of the concepts, but it's really great. It's on everybody's list, you know, top five classic books when it comes to it. And I will credit it for sure to kind of getting me started into pulling out some other books and other, you know, other ideas and talking to people about, all right, how do I actually do this? But that's kind of how that transition started. And at what point did it go from just you trying to learn as much as you can to realizing, hey, I've got a lot of knowledge to share and where you wanted to start actually teaching other people? Yeah. So, I mean, I become, and I guess this is probably the opposite process. Most people get on social media and become a millionaire and then teach people how to become a millionaire through ways that aren't social media. I had become a millionaire prior to even getting on social media through all the things that we're talking about now, you know, from A to Z, you know, budgeting, increasing income, understanding the rest of it, debt, credit, savings, everything else that comes with kind of a basic foundational finance. And then stocks, real estate, and stocks and real estate, pretty much the, you know, that combination there. And so I got to a point where it was COVID. I don't know if I'm allowed to say that word or not, but <laughs> it was the middle of probably that summer, right? So a few months had gone by. I stayed in the office with my boss. I don't even know why we stayed, but everybody else went home. He was number one. I was kind of number two in charge. And we kind of thought like, you know, let's just stick together. If we go home, it's just, everything's going to fall apart, whatever. But I had a lot more time on my hands because our business was all about, you know, it's almost not like Wolf of Wall Street at all, but, you know, it's very interactive. People are screaming back and forth, hey, what's this going on? I need this, da, 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 whatever. And when everyone's gone, you know, you call someone and then they don't pick up the phone, then you're just like sitting there like, all right, you know, like, what do I do now? So there's a lot of in-between time and I just started doing a lot of thinking. And I did this one journaling exercise called the Wheel of Life or something like that. And you basically rate yourself one to 10 in all these different areas, business, relationship, friends, fun, et cetera. And the one that kept staring back at me was contribution. I gave myself like a one or a two. I didn't feel like I was really contributing anything necessarily to society. I felt like I was contributing you know, at my work through helping people and contributing in my family and community and stuff like that, but not really to the extent. And I kind of had the idea like, hey, I've got all this incredible information that I've basically learned and put into action and had a lot of success with. I'm just going to start posting about it online without any idea or thought that it was going to turn into a business. And obviously, you know, two years and 200 something thousand followers later, you know, it's a much different story, but it just came with really, Hey, I want to help. I want to give back. I want to talk about a lot of these things that I've done in the hopes that it helps people. If it takes off great, if it doesn't, I'm just doing this kind of, I guess, for fun anyways. Yeah. And one of the reasons I love your content so much, I think we kind of talked about it earlier a bit, but you focus a lot on increasing income. And obviously that was like a key part of your story. If you were just working some salary job, where you got like an 8% raise every year, Tyler, there's no way you would have accumulated the wealth that you accumulated. Like we started at 60K and then, you know, six years later, maybe you're making like 85 or 90. But I know like with your content, you focus a ton on increasing income. I was wondering if you could just talk about that for a second. Like obviously we've kind of fleshed it out with your story, but why should other people be focusing so much on increasing their income rather than like couponing or like extreme budgeting or other methods to financial independence or financial freedom? Yeah. Well, I mean, I think everybody on a base level understands that like, you know, especially now with inflation, like you can't live off nothing. Like there's always a base level of expenses. And the cool part is that if I'm given like a quick example, no taxes involved for the sake of my sanity, but <laughs> let's say, you know, you're making $6,000 and you know, your expenses are $4,000. So you investing $2,000. If you raise your income, you know, up to $10,000 and you still have, what was it, $4,000 in expenses. Now your income didn't double, 
but your investments tripled because there's that base level. Your investments went from two thousand a month to six thousand a month, which is tripling. But your income only went from six thousand a month to ten thousand a month, which isn't even doubling, right? So it, because there's a base level that you have to live off of, and whether that's two or three or four or five, it depends on a lot of different factors. But the thing is that once you start raising your income, it's incredibly more valuable and and more efficient, obviously, to your goals because you're able to invest everything that's over that threshold because your expenses are already taken care of. So as you go up, unless you lifestyle creep, which you shouldn't do, at least not fully, there's absolutely no reason that you should make $4,000 more and your expenses go up by $1 necessarily, which allows you a lot of power, which is kind of why I did what I did. And I think just once you understand that, you know, and everyone's like, oh yeah, easy for you to say, go make more money. Um, you know, that's, that's like a novel concept, right? But I think there's a lot of ways to do it. And I think that you know, a lot of people go, oh, well, you know, I don't want to just go chase money. And I'm like, all right, cool. Like, do you like your job now? And they're like, no. I'm like, well, then, so you're at a job that you hate and it's not paying you well. So it's like, <laughs> what's, what, what benefit are you getting? You know? So I think like doing a lot of research, I tell everybody that goes to my masterclass, I'm like, we have people that are making $30,000 a year, people that are in college. We have doctors that are making $300,000 a year and everywhere in between. I tell people like, regardless, whoever you are, wherever you are, you need to look at your career. And this doesn't mean that you're going to change or quit or throw away everything you've ever done, but just think about it. Start thinking about it. Start asking yourself, am I doing what I want to be doing? Is it paying me what I need to be paid? And once you understand like how much you need to invest and you know how many properties you need to buy and what kind of cash flow numbers you need or how much you need to invest per month in the stock market to retire, you start to understand, you know, at some point I have to be investing two, three, four, five thousand dollars a month or whatever to get to my goals within the given time frame, because that's all a math equation for the most part. And so when you understand those numbers and then you go and you look at your job and it's just like, well, it's not adding up. Like you got to scrap it. You got to start looking at, you know, and that doesn't necessarily mean going back to college could be getting another skill, getting into a different industry. You could be in the right industry in the right job, but with a, a crappy commission structure, if you're in sales, and so it could be getting into a different company within the same industry, doing what you do with a better commission structure. So it's always important to kind of look at these things and ask yourself, I always tell people, I don't know if anyone else has ever said this. This is probably like my catchphrase if I have one. Hopefully no one else has said this because if so, then I got nothing that makes me unique. But <laughs> I always tell people there's no right or wrong decisions. There's only aligned and unaligned decisions. You know, I think a lot of times people try to get into an industry or a field or go to college or not go to college or pay off their debt or not pay off their debt or invest in the stock market or not invest in the stock market. And none of those are right or wrong decisions necessarily, you know, because it's all about who you are, what your goals are, when you're trying to get to where you're trying to get to, why you're trying to get there. And all those could be an aligned decision or an unaligned decision. So I think that, you know, for me in the income piece, it's very important to make sure that whatever you're doing is aligned with where you're trying to go and the life that you're trying to live and trying to find, hey, is it going to be I call this kind of like my income stack. Like you, you have to have one source of income that's active, like a job, whatever. And you have to have at least one outside of it, whether it's the stock market, real estate. Otherwise, there's the only money that's coming in is active. So you stop working. There's no money. Money you can never retire, right? But that can look a lot of different ways, right? You know, it could be someone that is working a nine to five, you know, a salary job and they're putting money in the stock market with a goal to retire in 35 years. It could be somebody that, is working a sales job with, you know, it's heavy commission and they're putting it into real estate, whether that be long-term or short-term. And so they've got their active income and they've got their source of passive income. 
And obviously you can stack that many different ways. Could even be a salary job plus a side hustle. And maybe that side hustle turns into a full-time hustle, right? So I like to expand people's thoughts because I think people are just like, well, I go work this job. It does, you know, I make whatever they tell me I make. And then I just like invest in my 401k and like that's the only way. And not necessarily, right? So I think that once you, you know, become a little bit more creative with how you're thinking about income and where that could possibly come from and different sources that could come from, it's all about trying to create that income stack that is, you know, going to be in alignment with where you're trying to get to. Yeah, completely agree with your catchphrase. And I similarly tell people, you know, there's nothing that I'm going to tell you you should or should not buy, for instance, like if it's a car, if that's what you really want, like, I don't care if that's what you buy. It's like, I just want to make sure you're informed and you know what you just did to your future self. Like, do you understand what you're doing to your future self? If you're cool with that, if it's not a big deal, if it works within your plan, all good, like no big deal. As far as like some of the, you know, job progression, you know, the, the stuff that you've seen with maybe some of your clients or as you've been teaching people this, is there some common themes you've seen that work as far as helping people increase their income? Like, is it mostly looking at outside jobs or are there things internally they do within their own jobs without having to leave that, that you've seen be successful to increasing income? Yeah, I think that there's a lot of different categories. And again, it's all situationally dependent on exactly what kind of job you're in. I think that one raises, people don't even ask for them to be honest, or they just wait and wait till the end of the year and they hope that they get it. And I, I look at raises very differently. I think that you should be asking about, and, and some people like, you know, might sound like, oh, what'd you just say? I think you should start the conversation in an interview and the way that looks, it's a more proactive approach where, you know, you get through the job interview and you answer the question or whatever. But hey, you know, obviously as I'm going throughout my career, you know, I'm interested in progressing not only skill-wise, but also financially over time. Do you guys have a process for, you know, reviewing performance at the end of the year as well as potential salary and or bonus and or commission increases? Right. And that's not a crazy question to ask. I think that's all everybody would say that's reasonable. But what you're looking for is Oh no, we don't have any process like that. All right, I would probably shut my computer or maybe maybe tell them buy first. But you know, if they don't <laughs> even have any sort of process. Like you know what you're walking into. But a lot of people walk into these positions because they don't know on the front end. Everything's appropriate to ask in the right way for the most part, right? And that's an example. And then once you get in there, it's more about you know once you start the job. Hey, talking to your boss. Say, say same exact script. Hey, I want to put myself in the best possible situation so that when we have this conversation that you guys told me about in the interview process before that I was proactive about in six to 12 months from now, what are the things that you would like to see that I have accomplished in order for me to put myself in the best possible situation to get that race? All right, X, Y, Z, da, 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 whatever, right? And then you go do X, Y, Z things over the next six, 12 months, whatever. You come back in that interview and you say, hey, remember when we talked about those things and you said that in order to get you know, X, Y, Z raise, you wanted me to be able to do A, B, C things. Well, I did ABC things and not only that, I, you know, I did better than all those things and additional things, whatever, right? And that puts you in a situation where it'd be really stupid for your boss to say, all right, well, we're not going to give you the raise, even though I told you what I wanted, you got it for me and I didn't and I'm not giving it to you. And if they do say no, then you know you're probably in the wrong place too, right? Where if somebody says, hey, go do this, you go do it and maybe even excel and do even better. And then they don't follow through on their end of the promise then you've kind of got your answer there as well. So I think a more proactive approach to raises. And also, you know, the average raise in 2022 was like 
3%, like when you stay at the same company, the average raise when you went to a different company was 15% last year. Is it always going to be like that? I don't know. Depends on the job market. But I think it's always a good idea to do research, right? You, I mean, everything is free, right? You know, going on Payscale and salary.com and, all, and Glassdoor, all these different websites and saying, okay, what is somebody in my role with my years of experience in my industry, whatever, what are they making, right? And you might see a big discrepancy. So you can either take that to your company and say, hey, this is what people are getting paid in my industry. They might say, cool, don't care, right? Then you can start applying for these other jobs and interview with these other jobs and you know, always be looking to not necessarily job hop every every year necessarily, but if you're in a situation, sometimes that can be the best idea to continue to progress from a raise standpoint if you don't have control over it from it being a salary type of role. So I think just you know, always using strategies like that to always you know, not try to control things as much as you can or put them within your control as opposed to that's really life. But you know, the more you put your success in someone else's hands, the less successful you're going to be. It's just, you know, like no one cares about you or your life or your success the way you do. No one cares about, you know, people that try to make a business and then hire someone to run it. Usually doesn't work out well. Why? No one cares about you and your life or your business or whatever as much as you do, right? So you've got to be your biggest fan and your biggest cheerleader to go out there and figure out, all right, how am I going to do this? Well, for the people who are looking for the support on how to do this and increasing income and reaching financial freedom, I know you mentioned before, Tyler, like you went from not creating anything online to now hundreds of thousands of followers across social media. Where do you want to point listeners? Like where's the best place for them to follow along, get in touch and consume your content? Yeah. So, I mean, I'm on Instagram, I'm on Twitter, I'm on TikTok. So it just kind of depends on where you hang out. You can search the words defining wealth, created that a while ago the name and the, the thought behind it, which is funny because most people look at their name now and they're like, that was a dumb idea. I wish I could change it now. But the idea is that I'm not giving you the definition of wealth. It's not past tense. I'm helping you currently define wealth. So we're defining what wealth is and helping you get there as soon as possible. So I'm on Instagram under that. I'm on TikTok. I'm on Twitter, basically anything. And what you can do is if you're interested I've got a lot of free resources. I've written like, you know, ebooks and videos and free courses and stuff like that. If you're kind of want to get to know me a little bit more, I'll also go live and stuff like that. So it's a good opportunity to listen more and hear me teach and stuff like that. If you're ready to kind of take the next step and join like a financial freedom masterclass or something like that, I do them every couple of months. I have one coming up in March and you can find out more info on that if you're interested at the link in any of my bios on social media. Well, Tyler, thank you so much for giving us some of your time. It's a very impressive story and love that you're taking what you've learned and going back out there and teaching others. Yeah, I appreciate you guys having me on. I, you know, I could probably sit here for three hours, but I know that we got to kind of keep these to a you know, 45 minute hour window. But I, anytime you guys ever you know, want to talk about anything, I'd be more than happy to come back on. Thank you again for taking the time to listen to another episode of The Fi Show. If you enjoyed this episode and want to support us, the best way to do that is to leave a review wherever you listen to podcasts, share this with a friend, and also don't forget, you can find 200 plus episodes and all the information you'd ever want to have about these episodes over at thefyshow.com. Also, don't forget to hit that subscribe button because that way every Wednesday you can have our latest episode delivered straight to your phone. Until next time. 
Hey, real quick before you go, I just want to remind you that I have made my personal like budget and net worth tracking spreadsheet available. The very same one that I use to track my net worth from $38,000 to over $1.2 million available for free on our website at thefyshow.com slash spreadsheet. So you can go download that today. That's thefyshow.com slash spreadsheet.